is the Evangelists Conference podcast. The Evangelists Conference is hosted by J. John, Killy John, and Andy Economides for those called to do the work of the evangelist. To find out more and to book your place for next year, visit evangelistsconference.com. Wow. Wow, I'm just really honoured. Killian, John, thank you so much for having me these past few years lead worship and to even to just share what's on my heart. Um, As an itinerant worship leader, I do get the incredible opportunity of going into so many churches. Uh, You know, I go into about maybe 40, between 40 and 50 churches a year. And um, I've got a good pastor, (laughs) Steve Darbyshire, who understands the call of God on my life. I'm sure in your church, if you're worshiping, you'd have been missing for quite a few years. Mark, you'd be like, going, where is he? Where is he? I'm paying him to be here. <laughs> but um, I get the honor of just going into so many churches and I lead worship in so many situations. So I kind of have this view and I'm oftentimes a bird's eye view in many ways, just watching ministry, you know, I'm leading worship from real charismatic things, you know right out there and you kind of flow with it and leading worship, leaving worship in the House of the Parliament um, and um, just in the chapel there I don't know if you've been to the chapel underneath uh, the House of Parliament and um, I think at one stage I was there every other week leading worship um, I just recently led worship for Christians in politics and um, that's a, a multi-party thing everybody came together and having to lead worship, and you kind of think, gosh, did I like what you do? Yep. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that, you know, my prayer was that I would serve the church in whatever capacity it would be in. So from leading worship at huge meetings in London and around the world to the smallest of meetings, I was invited uh, last year, September, to, to a, uh, a meeting of some leaders of a denomination and they invite me to come and lead worship. And I was like, going, okay, cool. They're going to have a, a room full of maybe 200 people or 100 people, the denomination, you know. And I showed up there and there was like five people in the room. <laughs> and I would say that was the most incredible, incredible moment in the presence of God. I grew up chasing the presence of God. In that room with five men and a woman, the presence of God visited us. And I begin to ponder, the music doesn't drive me. I've been a musician since I was six. (laughs) Misspent childhood. Um, But the thing that drives me is Jesus' heart for his people. So I walk into a church in straight away and those guys that travel with me you know as soon as I walk in I start praying for not me but for God the Holy Spirit to come and change lives and invigorate lives I believe that revival starts in the church so my talk is a little bit about that because oftentimes I go to churches and I can actually tell when a church is engaged in evangelism and when they're not it's quite interesting, I can. Um, and I've been to some churches that I, I it's not passing a judgment, I can see where 
uh, they're struggling because they have no evangelism. And you may think because I'm addressing evangelists, I'm actually an evangelist. You know, on uh, last week I was doing a meeting at my own church and we had about 800 people come out and at the end of it I went, ah, oh, before we finish, I need to give an altar call. And the five people gave their hearts to the Lord. And I was more excited about that than the set that I just did. And I believe that we've come to a significant time in human history, so significant, because we see the signs of the times everywhere. In our towns, our villages, and our cities, you see an apathy on the people who are not believers. You see unbelievers as well, but... No time have we been like this before. Well, the Bible says there will be wars and rumours of wars. We are seeing wars close to hand. We are seeing stuff happen. And I remember saying, Lord, when Israel and this whole thing started to happen, I said, Lord, what is this about? Because I often ask him, you know, just gives me a song about it. But I said, Lord, what is this about? And he goes, I know that the world is going to pray for peace. But I want you to announce that this is the season of the evangelist. Because the greatest revival of souls is about to come into the body of Christ. And the evangelist need not to fear. Because I'm a God that sets the scene. So I walk around a lot just to keep you guys, don't fall asleep on me. Yeah? <laughs> and I began to look at that and go, wow, while the world is saying peace. I heard the voice of God say, no, this is the season of the evangelist. This is the season of souls. Because God does this kind of thing. He sets up what's about to happen before it happens. We talked about providence at dinner table the other night. And how God does things providentially. You don't know why you're here. You don't know what you're, the people you're meeting. You have no idea of the people you're meeting in this room. And just a conversation can lead you in such a God, a godly move in your life because you simply was in this space. So I began to look at scripture. And I found that many churches are engaged in lots of different types of evangelism. Nothing wrong with different types of evangelism. But a type of evangelism I want to talk about is the one. I call it the witness evangelism. If that was a movie, that'd be like, the witness. Because I believe that there's a power that's coming to those who are willing to be witnesses. And how do we engage a church that leaves the evangelism up to the evangelists? Who go on the streets and they preach and they do stuff and God said to me that every member, every believer must become a witness. Turn to your neighbour and say, are you a witness? Not like that. Just turn to your neighbour and say, are you a witness? <laughs> if you want to do it like that, you can. A church without witnesses of the power of Jesus is a dying church. And a church that's for, forgotten about the power of Jesus is a dying church. I'm not talking about, I know we've got models of worship, models of, worship, I'm talking about evangelism, models of evangelism. 
The worship bit's going to come. I know we've got models and we've got different systems and we go, let's strategize this, let's do that. But I believe that a church that's on fire for God is a church that there are witnesses there. Witnesses to the power of God. And as I began to look at this, oh, this subject, it began to eat me up a bit. <laughs> and I said that we can see the end unfolding before our eyes. And this is the season of the power of the witness. In the beginning, God says, let there be light. He created the heaven and the earth. They just tried to land on the moon the other day. The Bible says that the earth, or it says that now the earth was formless and empty and darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I want you to take note of that. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God says, I'm going to speak to carbon and oxygen. And I'm going to form a firmament. I'm going to speak to hydrogen and oxygen and I'm going to form a firmament. Are you with me? And then God goes, I'm going to put my glory in those firmaments. So he starts with the sky and he goes, I'm going to bring my glory in the form of a bird. And he creates a bird whose genius comes out in the air. But God does this when he creates his glory. He creates a seed in it. Somebody say seed. I'm in Pentecostal tonight. It's all right. (laughs) He created a bird with the ability to reproduce. He created fish to exist in the water with the ability to reproduce. My favorite fruit are grapes. I'll just let you know that, right? I I love those black grapes. Juicy ones. But I love them seedless. And the problem with seedless grapes is that they're man-made. Seedless grapes are man-made. Because real real grapes will always have seed in them. And I began to realise, have we created a generation of people who show the glory of God in one aspect because they look like the glory of God, but are seedless. Because I began to realize is that the seed of a, of a fruit is a testimony of the fruit. And the fruit is a testimony of the seed. Did you get what I'm talking about here? And I believe that as a body of Christ, We should not be seedless because if you're seedless, it means that you're powerless. Ooh. And I realized that what God did when he said, let there be light, he spoke into the vacuum. Anybody know what a vacuum is? Not even sound travels in vacuums. Because vacuums need an atmosphere for sound to work in it. So when God said, let there be light, he was saying, I'm announcing to every matter 
even though you don't know your names yet, but I announce it to every matter that there's going to be light. I'm going to reveal myself to you and your function will come alive. You're following my train of thought. So even in the beginning, God meant for, for his creation not to be seedless. In Luke 15, verse 10, the Bible talks about the, the heavens rejoice over one sinner who repents. They throw a party. That's heaven. I've noticed that some churches don't like doing celebration. Somebody comes to the Lord and says, like, oh, Jack's got saved today. All right, good, well done. Wish you luck. <laughs> when the Bible says that, heaven celebrates. That's the worship bit. Man, when somebody gets saved, I go crazy. I do guitar solos. I mean, sorry, yeah. I go crazy because I know the price of redemption. And I refuse to be seedless in this, in this season. Many years ago, passed my driving test when I was 18. Passed it in Watford. Anybody from Watford? Yeah, mate, great. Watford was easy. I tried it in Dollis Hill, too many hills. <laughs> I failed it like twice. So I went to Watford. Anyway, my dad was really gracious to me, let me use his car. Yeah, the two litre Cortina Sport. Nice. Yeah. It had a lot, a lot of power in it. And I'm like, yeah, you sure I can use this, Dad? I'll drive to church. So I was at church rehearsing on the way home, driving home. There's a little back road. I thought, oh, the car's nice. Put my foot down. Car really moved. All of a sudden, I looked in my mirror. There was a blue light. I'm like, this is not right. And he pulls me over. And I'm like going, I wasn't going that fast. And he's like, calm down, sir, calm down, calm down. You were actually going 50 miles an hour, and this is a 40 mile an hour zone. So I'm going to have to, I'm like, please don't, my dad's going to kill me. <laughs> so, but anyway, the letter comes to the home, and I've only ever been to a court twice, ever, for my, um, <laughs> yeah. And I decided, I was so upset, I decided that I'm going to go to court to fight this. Because I'm like, nah, they can't do this to me. Like, this wasn't fast. It was that late at night. There was nobody else on the road apart from them, <laughs> as you know. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go to court. So I put on my Sunday best. Back in the day, I was at Pentecostal church, so you got to have Sunday best goofy suits and, do you know what I mean? <laughs> all the style thing comes out. And I thought, I'm going, I'm going to the court to represent myself. This policeman's not going to get away with this. What do I know about courts? <laughs> so I show up to court. The case is called. And I go, I walk into the dock thing and I'm in the judge and there's loads of people milling around. They go, oh, Mr. Robinson, you decide to show up today. Okay, great. Um, what is it that you want to say about um, your speeding? I said, it wasn't. I didn't do it. I wasn't that fast. It wasn't that fast. I think the police was picking me. He goes, Excuse me. He goes, what proof do you have that you weren't going that fast? And I went, 
just my word. I don't, I don't have any proof. And he goes, uh, DC or PC, da 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 number. He called his number and he goes, can you, can you read the report, please? What proof do you have? And he goes, yeah, Mr. Robinson at, at, at 12.30 at night, da 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 came down what road, da 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 came around the bend and he was doing 50 miles an hour, da da And I was like, whoa. And he goes, uh, you have no proof? He goes, guess what? 200 pound fine and three points in your license. Thank you. And I walked out there going, I was a witness with no proof. I was a witness with no proof. And I began to understand that we've got many witnesses in the church, but have no proof. Or they've forgotten the proof. And I began to look at this and I went, whoa, this, this is, um, I've got to move quickly through this because there can be time up here. I learned that the power of a witness can also carry the proof of evidence. And as evangelists, we don't just speak the gospel. We don't just share the gospel. We must be proof of the evidence of the power of the gospel. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me feel like I'm at church. <laughs> A witness. There are several types of witnesses. One of the witnesses that you will see is an eyewitness. An eyewitness is somebody who has seen, I'll read it quickly, a person who has seen something happen and can give a first-hand description of it. An eyewitness is an observer who's seen something clearly enough to describe it. An eyewitness is one who sees an occurrence or an object, especially one who gives a report on what he or she has seen. That's an eyewitness. We also have expert witnesses. Expert witnesses are quite interesting because they weren't there. But they know enough and have a knowledge that's beyond the layman's knowledge of a circumstance. So an expert witness will tell you what kind of bullet was in the gun. Tell you what angle the gun came from. So what you see may not have been possible. An expert witness is somebody they call into a court to attest your testimony to see if you're speaking the truth. And it's quite interesting, as I began to read and talk about um, the witnesses, I began to see something very, very interesting in that the, our gospel and the message of Christ, in actual fact, the story of Jesus rests on four witnesses. And it's quite interesting that if you're in a court of law and our, witnesses are, our witness statement is exactly the same, they'll throw it out. Because I say there's been some corroboration. Something's not quite right. Because actually, as a witness, you see it through your eyes. And there's different angles. And you see things in different ways. You might, you might be seeing it from 100 foot away. Somebody sees it from 30 foot away. But actually what happens, like the Gospels, like, you know, the world tries to discredit the Bible and says, oh, the Gospels don't add up. There's this issue with Matthew when he said this and it doesn't show up in Mark and actually truth about the witness is that the fact that all four of them were with Jesus. And one might have said 4,000 people were fed. The other one said 5,000. Hey, people were fed. And I began to realise that the power of a witness is very important. I'll move through. And God wants to raise up witnesses. 
And as evangelists, you oftentimes stand in an interesting place because your passion for souls, it means that at Mitch you do these amazing things and you reach out to people and you've got programmed to encourage believers. And sometimes believers look at you and go, man, you guys are too much. Do I remember a story when I was younger? Um, we, we were driving home from a church meeting, and, and where, I lived, where, where I lived was in Hart. Anybody know Hart's in northwest London? And they've got this big clock there, and it's a big centre, and they often had outreach, somebody on a megaphone, you know. And what was happening was, what was happening, I remember driving, and we stopped at the traffic lights, and there was this guy out there going, You must be saved. And you couldn't hear him properly, but he was going for it. And I was going, I was like, going, Nah, that guy's a bit out there you know he's a bit too much and my friend was tapping my foot going like that and I was like going yeah he's a bit too much I thought he was goading me on but what happened I, I was talking about the guy in the other seat it was his dad <laughs> was the I was like oh I'm really sorry and he goes no that's fine <laughs> I went I'm really really he goes no that's fine I don't agree with what my dad does and how he does it but years later I begin to understand the passion the passion that he had for lost souls drew him into the square with a megaphone and he began to speak about salvation. And I believe that as, as evangelists, we must not lose the passion to do the unusual thing. I remember being invited by the, the, the Catholic community to do a festival in a, Leicester Square. And I was like going, my gosh, we're going to do a festival and thousands of people were walking through. And in the middle of it, I went, I am going to play Amazing Grace, the original Amazing Grace, Jimi Hendrix style, so nobody else play. So I got my guitar and I go, and I was like going, oh man. And I told a guy to turn it up. And as I began to play, I began to weep when I was playing. And when I opened my eyes, there was about five, six hundred people and many of them began to weep. And I played it and I said, my intention is that the guys in Soho are going to hear this sound. The guys in those places where they don't like church, they're going to hear the sound of this guitar playing amazing grace and it's going to hit them and it's going to drop a seed into them. Intention is very important. And as I began to play and I saw the presence of God descend in that space, I remember my friends from the Catholic Church, they began to go around because all of a sudden their tent for prayer was packed with people of different nationalities who had been walking through, wanted to find answers. I saw people weeping, I saw people praying for people and I went, wow, the power of sound that breaks an atmosphere. I'm going somewhere with this. And then I began to remember Acts 2 verse 17. And I know you know that scripture where God, God told the disciples to go to the upper room. And he says, wait there because power is coming from heaven. Somebody say power is coming. And what I began to realise was this amazing thing that they were in a room that they'd never experienced what was about to happen before. 
Because the Bible says a mighty rushing wind came. The issue around the mighty rushing wind was quite interesting because when I began to think about it, why would a wind appear in a room? And number two, why do they call it a wind? Because of the effects of it, no doubt. But God is not the wind. And what they did, they, dis- they used their own interpretation because I believe they were first century fishermen. So they go, man, this looks like a wind. If we were 21st century and it happened in here, we might say it looks like, the, you know, the 945 train from Birmingham to London. It's out, you know. We would use, we would use some contemporary stuff, stuff to describe it. This is why we don't worship the wind as a worship wind. We don't worship the wind. We don't worship the effects of the wind. We worship the presence of God. Amen? So what happens is that they have this outpouring in a room. And in Acts 2 verse 17, the statement is made by the disciples. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I pause there for a moment. Because as a believer, I'm thinking, why do you want to pour your spirit out on people who ain't believers? Don't you pour it out on us? And I believe that God began to speak to me. God goes, I am setting up this generation for the greatest harvest, greatest revival they've ever, ever known. And I began to say, well, what does that look like? And he goes, I'm going to pour my spirit up on all flesh. And then my sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Remember what God did? God spoke into the void. And when he spoke, things began to happen because he had set the atmosphere. And I began to realise God is setting up an entire revival of epic proportions. Some of you may have it hard doing witnessing on the streets and stuff like that, but I'm telling you, there's a power that's coming to you that as soon as you begin to walk into a space, because in Acts 2, that's what the Bible says, they walked out of that upper room with an authority of the Holy Spirit. That's why evangelism cannot happen by just ways and ideas. It can't happen because I'm so used to doing evangelism and I do it all the time. I've been doing it all my life. No, it's got to be infused and empowered by the Holy Spirit because that's what happened to Peter and the apostles. They were witnesses of Jesus. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They saw the miracles and they received the power from an eye. We need a church that's full of the Holy Spirit. My dad, who died last year, he wouldn't have said Holy Spirit. He says, that's too light. Holy Ghost. (laughs) And he would have shook the house when he'd say, Holy Ghost. (laughs) And there's a quickening with that as well. My dad was an amazing man. 93 died that last year. I've never met a more spiritual man than he is. Because sometimes you can have spirit-led men stand on a platform and do all that stuff, but behind, there ain't no spirit. But that man, he was an amputee. I remember ministering, ministering in uh, Bahamas, 
And I got a phone call from my brother going, you need to go and see dad in Jamaica now. So I kind of finished ministry and I go and see him. And I go to hospital and he's had a leg amputated. But when I walk into the hospital, this is incredible. When I, I walk into the hospital, I just heard this voice going, hallelujah, glory to God, praise. And I'm like going, whoa, that sounds like dad. And it's a ward full of people. And I'm like, man, there's some praises coming out of his mouth. I'm like, dad, they just cut your leg off. Hallelujah, praise God. I'm like, dad, I'm really angry. Don't be angry. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the other people in the ward are going, um, the nurses are going, Mr. Robinson, please, can you tone it down a bit? Can you tone it down a bit? And the other, the other patients in the ward are going, no, don't let him tone it down because he's bringing peace to us. Every time he shouts hallelujah, we feel calm in our bodies. That's my dad. <laughs> So I, was, I began to look at the power of the witness. I began to look into the life of Moses. And Moses writes Genesis and he wasn't there. Ooh. How does that happen? Because it's infused by the Holy Spirit. And how we need a church that Holy Spirit led. So we can begin to see the things that God is seeing rather than seeing our own agendas. Then I looked through and I began to realise that the power of the witness, can I get to it here? And how God wants us as a generation to live out our prophetic destiny. And some of these words might be, they're Pentecostal words, aren't they? Prophetic destiny. What does that mean though? It means the word that God has spoken over your life. You're not here by accident. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not here by accident. And somebody said, if he gives me another instruction, you know what? <laughs> because your life is not a mistake. And that before you were born, God appointed even tonight to be in your timeline. Some of the things that you've gone through some of the things that you've happened to you, they're appointed in your timeline. And you may think, oh, that horrible thing that happened. Well, if you've overcome it tonight, <laughs> God has gone, I'm going to use what the enemy meant for harm and turn it around for your good. And some of you in this room are living because God turned it around. Turn to your neighbour and say, He turned it around. That sounds like a song to me. He turned it around. <laughs> So I've come to declare to you that the earth that we live in, the town that you live in, the city that you live in, the village that you live in, the community that is around you is waiting for the manifestation of God through you. And we can't be like Luke or J. John who travel the world preaching. <laughs> travel the world preaching. Some of us are just at home. 
And our next door neighbours need to see God in you. You have to be a witness. It doesn't mean that you have to go to them and say, listen, you know, you need to serve Jesus. You need to become, you don't, you don't have to, as we say, Bible bash. But your very life becomes a witness. The power of the witness was this simple thing that Peter walked out of that room and his shadow healed people. Can you imagine going into your neighbour's house where there's been a war? But when you walk in, the peace of God comes in with you. Can you imagine walking into a situation where, where people need a provision and when you walk in, God Jehovah Jireh shows up. Can you imagine praying for that young lady down the road who's got four kids and she's struggling. Imagine bringing a word to her and God begins to change her life around because the power of the witness there's one apostle that didn't even see Jesus because that was the thing. You're an apostle if you've seen Jesus and you've walked with him in the flesh. But here comes the man Saul. Hello. Here comes a man Paul. I love that. Because he has an encounter on the Damascus road that whether you want to doubt him or not, because they did, because he was a, he killed Christians. That's basically what he did. But the witness of the power of God in his life was so strong that he was doing miracles, signs and wonders. I believe we've entered the age of the miracle, the sign and the wonder. And guess what? It starts with you because you are a miracle. You are a sign to this generation and you are a wonder because they said that you couldn't do it. Some of you sitting here, they said, oh, he's only been a Christian. He's going to be a Christian for a couple of weeks. Don't worry, he'll be back. Oh, he's only going to last a few days. Don't worry about him. He's just excited. I'll give him a year. He'll be back drinking with us, getting drunk. And some of you are sitting here tonight, 10, 20 years old later. Why? Because you are a sign and a wonder. And those people that put that number in you are going, whoa, you're still a Christian? Yeah, Man, this thing must be real. Here comes the witness. The power of the witness. So let's get to it. I'm going to ask you guys to do something shortly. I believe that. This keeps on moving down. The story of Jeremiah hit home to me. Because in lockdown, I'm a songwriter and I only wrote like one song. I was on the phone every week with Luke. <laughs> and I wrote one song in lockdown. Can you believe that? Like in all the years. And I was like, what is going on? And the song that I wrote, it was a song that I don't know where it came from. But after the song came, I had to research. <laughs> Why did I write that song? And the song speaks about there's a fire shut up in my bones. That was the theme of the song. And I began to ask God, why is it only one song I've written? And he goes, the times that you wanted to give up during lockdown because you thought, hey, all the platforms are gone. The times when 
other issues were happening in my life that just worn me out. And I just thought, I just can't believe I'm going through these circumstances again and again. Why? And God goes, you can't give up because I've set a fire in your bones. Mitch, you can't give up with the dreams of Ireland and revival in Ireland. You can't give up because God has put a fire in your bones. Terry and June, you can't give up. I've been to your church because God has put a fire in your bones. Jay John, you can't give up. Because God's put a fire in your bones. Mark and Mark, you can't give up. Ben, you can't give up. Andy, because God has put a fire in your bones. And even when you don't feel like it, he begins to stir it. So Jeremiah, you know, that's, Jeremiah's a great scripture. It's got that scripture, you know, I have plans for you, a good, you know, that, that scripture. And then it, then it has another one, you know, before you were born, I called you. I love that one. And I love the other one. But Jeremiah goes into this place where he becomes angry. He becomes angry at God. The prophet becomes so angry, he says, God, you've got me preaching this message. And I don't see any results. You've got me preaching this message and my friends take the mick out of me. They make the fun of me. They see me coming and they go, oh, here he goes again. Oh, here he goes again. Oh, every time he comes around. And he says, God, I'm tired of carrying this message. I'm tired of carrying this word of destruction and doom for Israel. But he says that it doesn't matter what I want to do. This word, this fire is in me, shut up in my bones. And God wants you evangelists to be passionate again. He knows you've gone through the mill. He knows that your lives behind the curtains has been hard. He knows the difficulty that you have faced. Some of you have faced losses that you didn't expect. And God's saying, I want to kindle this fire once again in you. And it takes me back to that scripture in Acts 2 where the Bible says that. And they were in the room and they heard the sound. But then what happened was cloven tongues came on them and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do evangelism with the, without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in your own strength, no matter how fancy your words are. God wants to see a demonstration of His power working through you. And I had this picture of a lantern. Because that scripture is so significant. The cloven tongues. And then they were filled with the Spirit of God. And I began to realise that even in my own life, there's times when the lamp that I am had no oil in it. And I was functioning 
just on wick power. Anybody know what a wick is? For those of you not young enough to, a lantern needs a wick. And I began to realise that some of us, even in this room, we've had some battles. We've had leaks in our lanterns. Some of us have been running on wick power. What do I mean by wick power? It means that your wick is not connected to the oil. And you found yourself replacing the wick without putting any oil in. Because that's what happens with the wick. No oil, it will last. There'll be fire. You'll see the fire and you go, yes, it's alive. The fire is alive. It's moving. But guess what? There's no oil in the reservoir. And I hear the voice of God say to me tonight that there are many of you in this room who feel dry and empty because the oil has spilled out or the oil has run out. And God says that I want to anoint you again. I want to fill that reservoir. You see, the wick acts as capillary action. They call it capillary action with when you put a, a dry porous cloth or whatever in the oil, it begins to suck the oil up. And when you light a lantern, it's not the wick on fire, it's the oil. I just felt that. When you light a lantern with oil in it, it's not the wick that's on fire if it's in the oil. It's the oil that's on fire. That's why the wick can last a long time. But the moment there is no oil, the wick will light for a moment and then it'll start to burn out. I don't know where you are tonight. But I felt strongly in my spirit that God wants to reanoint some people in this room. Because I know that in this next season, you will not be able to push through with the mandate that God's given you without the oil. You can try in your own strength, but I guarantee you'll burn out. But the effectiveness of any lamp is how much oil is in it. So I, I decided that tonight I'm going to intentionally, I'm going to sing a song. But I'm going to ask, some, who am I going to ask tonight? The four chaplains. Where are the four chaplains? Come on, come on, come on. I'm going to ask you, you're going to stand out front here, please. Jay John, Killy. Andy. Ah, oh, please, yeah, please, please come. We're doing it right now. I believe the spirits that work in this room. And I don't know what kind of evangelism. You're going to line up across the front and just face everyone. Just line up across the front. Yeah, come, come closer this way, please. Yeah, That's right. That's good. That's good. That's good. They don't know what's happening here. But I really feel led to do this. 
because I heard the voice of God say to me, no, you will not be able to go into the next season unless my oil is on you. My oil is in you. And I'm going to sing a song before we start this. But I'm going to open it up. Some time of ministry. Because you may have been battling with the calling of God or what you do. And you're saying, Lord, I can't go forward. That's why I've come here. I can't go forward unless I have a touch from you. I can't do the things that you want me to do, Lord, unless you are in it. It's not by might, because we got a lot of might in this room. I saw a whole evangelism program crash. I was a worship leader for an event. They spent a lot of money. Hired a big building in London. But I saw no prayer. I'm talking about a big building in London. And when you're in a big building as a worship leader and you've got a worship team and there's more people on a stage with you than there are in a congregation, there's a problem. And I realised that we cannot do this thing. We cannot win a nation in our strength and our gifting and our abilities and the size of our churches. But the only way we're going to win this nation is through the anointing of God. And I thought this is the perfect place for us to be re-anointed. I'm not frightened of that. <laughs> so I'm going to sing a song. And these beautiful people here, there's oil. I think there's oil somewhere. You've all got oil. You've all got oil. And I'm going to give you an opportunity for those of you who go, I need another touch from God. A Holy Ghost touch from God. I don't care what your ministry looks like. I don't care where you come from. But you're not going to be able to do it without the Holy Spirit. And because the nature of an evangelist is prophetic. It means that you don't just stand in your flesh. You're actually doing what God says you should do. That means the weight of heaven is behind you. I'm going to sing this song. And the song simply is, there's a fire shut up in my bones. And I want you to begin singing that with me. And for those of you that feel that, yes, I need a touch. That's the reason why I came here. I want you to come out to one of these anointed people here. And they've got some oil. Now, if I was in a Pentecostal charismatic church, I'd go, don't fall over and all that stuff. <laughs> but just receive a prophetic sign of wanting a new anointing and receive it. So I'm going to do that. There is a fire Shut up 
been listening to the Evangelists Conference podcast. Visit evangelistsconference.com to find out more.